Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So how many of you get too much email? (laughs) I don't even know how they get my email address, right? Uh, But yes, so one of my tasks every day, you know, I, I get up in the morning and it'll say 60 emails, you know. And the first thing I do is I just kind of scan down the list, trying to find out if any of them are things that I I want to look at, right? And and some of those things are things, well, that kind of might be interesting. I'll save that one and then this one. But I find, you know, oh, wow, I got an email from one of you. Or from a family member someplace else, my brother or something, right? Oh, and I really want to see that and open it up and and see what it has to say. Well, back in uh, the time of the New Testament... About 2,000 years ago, um, there was no email. And if you got a letter, it was a big deal. There was no junk mail back in those days. Uh, And and so there were churches that had been started around the Roman Empire. and, And the people who started them, like the Apostle Paul, would sometimes write them letters. And so... When they would get a letter from the Apostle Paul, this is about God, this is about their relationship with Christ, this is how to live with a Christian man, they would open that letter. But the thing is, they didn't all get copies, they got one copy. And so they would get together like this and they would read that letter and talk about that letter. Now, the Bible tells us that all scripture is given for our profit to help us to to become the people that God wants us to be. And so the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches back in his day are very much written to us as well. And so what we're doing today is we're starting to look at one of those letters, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. There's still a, a, a town in Greece today, and I, I think it's Salonica, Salonica, I don't know how they say it, but it's the same town. And when, when Paul wrote this letter to this church that was in Thessalonica, this, the town of Thessalonica was a huge city in those days. They estimate the population of it was 200 to 300,000. Worcester is about 160,000 people. So this is a huge city. And, and I mean, we don't think much about driving from one side of Worcester to the other, but would you think a, a long time about walking to White City today? Right, I mean, it's a big city. Uh, things, you know, from all over the world, beliefs, practices. And so in this mix, there was a church that was started, the church that was there in Thessalonica, and Paul writes a letter to them. And we want to look at this first letter beginning today. We're going to spend five weeks in this letter. In this letter, we're going to find out what happens to us when we receive Christ as Savior. We're going to um, see how do we engage with the power of God so that it really makes the difference in our lives. We're going to see that how do we relate with love, what, you know, that God made us to love and what does that mean. Um, we're going to talk about what God's will is. The Bible says this is God's will for you in a particular area, a very important area in our day and time. We want to talk about that. Uh, and then we're going to end up looking at, you know, what's God's goal for us? Where is, it, where is he taking us 
with all of these things. And so that is this letter uh, to 1 Thessalonians. We're calling the sermon series Persuaded, and you're here on a great week. It's the first week, haven't missed a thing. And so uh, we wanna jump right into this. So let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. Now, if you are here without a Bible, we understand that. There are Bibles under the chairs there, and we would encourage you to take one of those out and start off by turning to page 1,356. 1,356. 1 Thessalonians chapter one. It says Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And Silvanus was a formal name for Silas. You've heard of Silas, probably. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very standard greeting. This is the way Paul usually greeted the people that he was writing to. Then he says this in verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all. Did you know Paul was from the South? We give thanks to God always for y'all. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. And so when Paul remembers this church, he remembers them as a church that, that their faith has made a difference in their lives, that, they, that they're working as Christians and serving God with it, that they're laboring in love. You know, you can labor begrudgingly, can't you? Have you ever done something for somebody and like murmuring the whole time? That isn't what they were doing. No, they were, they were serving, working, motivated by love, and they were patient, and their hope was in Christ. This is an awesome church that he's remembering and he's praying for. And then he says this, knowing beloved brethren, your election by God. Election by God. Well now, what what does that mean? Well, (laughs) oh boy, it's providing a lot of entertainment in the news these days. We have an election coming up, don't we? Next year. And actually it's this year now, isn't it? Anyway, so we have an election committee, and in the election, we're going to do what? We are going to choose our president. And that's what this word election means, choosing. And he says here, Paul says, when I look at you and I see how you live your lives and, and what kind of church you are, he says, man, I know that you have been chosen by God. I can see it. Now, let me just clear up how this works. This does not mean that God did this. Uh, way back he said, okay, I'm gonna choose uh, you and I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna save you and the rest of you, you're on your own. God didn't do that. In In the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, right in the very beginning he says that God chose you in Christ. Okay, so here's how this works. When we come to that place in our lives where we understand that we sinned against God and we need a savior, and Jesus died for our sins and we receive Christ as Savior. The moment we do that, the Bible says that God's Spirit takes us and then puts us into Christ. Somehow, rather, we are now united with Christ. And, and Paul said in that letter to Ephesians, he says, God chose Christ. God chose his own son. 
And that means he chose everybody who is in Christ. So everyone who chooses to receive Christ is put into Christ and therefore now is chosen by God. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. He says, I know that you have a relationship with God. I know that you have received Christ as Savior. All right, so before we, we continue here, let's, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and read the story of this church, how the, the, this church was started. Acts, chapter 17, uh, it's going to be page 1276, page 1276, and it says this, chapter 17, verse 1, now when they had passed through, this is Paul and Silas as they're going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And so this is what they would do. They would go into town and, and they were Jewish uh, by birth and by raising themselves. Uh, Jesus was born Jewish and so it made sense for them to start in the synagogue. And they would go to the synagogue and, and go back to the Old Testament and start talking about the coming Messiah. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, okay? So it's talking about the same thing, the Jewish Messiah. So he would go in and talk to them and say, listen, here's the promises about the Messiah, here's the prophecies, here's the thing that God foretold. And you guys know that you, who've been coming, we've seen a number of those prophecies the last few weeks, we've talked about those things. But he would show them that and then he said, now this Jesus that we've been telling you about, he is that Messiah. He is the one who fulfills all these promises. He is the one who's come to save us from our sins, from the penalty of our sins, all right? So he, he preaches there, verse four, and some of them were persuaded. Now let's just stop right there. Um, it's in three weeks' time, he explains who Jesus is to these people and they can see these are Christ and some of them are persuaded. This means that they became believers in Jesus Christ. They, they became persuaded about who he was. They became persuaded about how they needed to respond to that, what they needed to do. So some of the Jewish people there believed. And then a great multitude of the devout Greeks, they were persuaded as well. And these were people who were not Jewish people, but yet had come to believe that the Jewish God was the true God. And they were interested. Now they've heard that Jesus is the Savior. And so they're believing. And it says, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And so leading women would probably, if we put it in our day and age, these are the women who were married to the mayor of town, to the, to the representative in town, or to the, the biggest business in town. These were, these were people who were well known. And they became followers of Jesus too. But I want you to see, how many Jewish people became followers? Some. How many of these Gentiles became followers? A whole bunch and some pretty important people in man's perspective in this bunch, okay? So they were persuaded. And this, by the way, this is where the, the uh, title for this sermon series comes from, Persuaded and what difference it makes in our lives. So let's continue, verse five. 
But the Jews who were not persuaded, those who said, no, I'm not buying it, or no, we don't want that, becoming envious, because man, all of a sudden there's a lot of excitement and it's not about the synagogue anymore, it's about this Jesus and, and Paul and Silas. Becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, who apparently is one of the believers now, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they didn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. By the way, you know, anywhere that the gospel of Christ is taken, it turns people's worlds upside down. It does, for good or for bad. It turned my world upside down. April 4th, 1975. And, and a lot of you here today, you would say the same kind of thing. Verse number seven, and they're still continuing their accusation. They say, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So they're twisting the message here. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It's like Baal. When, when they posted Baal, they were allowed to leave. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. It says to Berea, to another place. Okay. The apostle Paul and Silas were here in Thessalonica for probably no more than three months. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That we're reading over in the letter that Paul is saying, what an awesome church you are. And he was only there for about three months in the very beginning. So who made that church a great church? That's right, the Lord Jesus Christ did. God did, God's working in them. But what I want to point out to you here is this, uh, start talking about here is this portion when it says there in verse number four, and some of them were persuaded and they began following Christ and others were not persuaded. And this idea of being persuaded means, you know, it's, it's coming to realize that this is really true. This, this is really true, what we're hearing about him. And, and then choosing to respond, choosing to believe. Now, how do we reach this point in our lives? How do we come to the point where we realize we need to, to receive Christ as Savior? Well, it's really simple. It's the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit works in our lives. And God works in our lives to, to bring us to this point where we understand the truth and are able to respond to it. And it doesn't matter if we, if we grew up in a church that was you know, gospel rich and in a family that believed all this, or we grew up in um, maybe a religion that just wasn't quite so clear that maybe we had no religion growing up, sometimes that happens, or we, had, we were involved in a religion that was in total opposition to all of this stuff. Doesn't matter, the Holy Spirit works and uses all of that to bring us to a place where all of a sudden we see all of a sudden we understand. You see, he brings us to the place where, where we realize who we are. Now, there's a bunch of you I know, and some of you I know a lot better than others, and some of you I don't know at all. You're, you're brand new to us here. But there's something that I know about all of us, 
And that's that every one of us have disobeyed God at some point in time. The Bible calls that sin. Every one of us have gone our own way. We've, we've done our own thing. We've been focused on ourselves as, instead of what's right, you know, or what God would want us to do. We, we've all done that. And so we need to realize, the Holy Spirit brings to that point where we realize who we are, that we have sinned against God and that we are helpless to fix it and we are hopeless if it doesn't get fixed. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to realize who God is. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God became a man, a human form, who died paying the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Uh, If we're gonna try to pay the penalty for our sins, we will pay forever in a place called hell. But Jesus paid that penalty. And so we realize who who we are and our great need of him and who he is. And, And so, He brings us to this place where we understand this and and we receive Christ as Savior. We get it. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. All right, I'm going to stop trying to figure this out myself and I'm going to trust Christ as Savior. I'm going to receive his forgiveness of sins. Receive the eternal life that he wants to give me. And so what we discover is that, and I think we see it here in the church, in the the Thessalonian church, When that happens, we are profoundly changed. That moment that we receive Christ as Savior, we are profoundly changed, deep down inside. And and so this change that comes into our lives, let me say, when I say we're profoundly changed, and what I don't mean is this, I don't mean that all of a sudden we don't sin anymore because we still do. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we, our motivations are always perfect. They aren't. It doesn't mean we have the answers to every question. We don't. It doesn't mean that we never have any doubts because sometimes we do. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that in the, the core reality of who we are, we have been forever changed. What, what begins to motivate us has been changed. Um, <clears throat> profoundly changed Uh, and from now on we're just not going to turn back that change makes us we're not going back to the old life I mean we're going to have to work our way out and we're going to talk about that but that's we've turned in a different direction now uh, Jesus pretty much hinted at this when he said and I'm going to paraphrase him from John 3 he said unless you're born again you never make it to heaven Unless you're born again. Now think about this. When you were born physically, that's when you began to interact with the world, wasn't it? That was your beginning. And we, we understand that you began before that in the womb. We get all that. But I'm talking about when you were born, that's when you begin to interact with the world around you. Okay? Well, when Jesus talked about coming to this place where we're persuaded, we receive Christ, he said that's what he describes as being born again. And, and what it is, it's like all of a sudden in the middle of this life that you're living, You have this new beginning, a new life that you're going to begin living. Uh, And Jesus continues to talk about it. He said it's a spiritual birth. It's a spiritual birth. We've had a physical birth. Being born again is a spiritual birth where we come into relationship with God by receiving Christ as Savior. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about this uh, in in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians when he says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a what? Say those next two words with me. He is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so Jesus saying, new beginning, new life. Paul is saying, new creation. This is a profound change. We've been profoundly changed. Well, well, what does the word profound mean? Okay, let's look at this definition. It means going far beneath what is superficial, external or obvious, and penetrating to the depths of one's being. And when we receive Christ as Savior, and we are changed, that's exactly what happens. It isn't surface stuff. It isn't about going and, and, oh, now I'm going to start going to church somewhere and doing religious stuff. It isn't about that. Jesus didn't talk about, oh, if you'll just stop doing this and stop doing this and start doing this. No, he says you've got to be born again. You've got to become a new creation because it's not from the outside in. The change cannot happen from the outside in. We sang about it today. The change occurs how? From the inside out. And so God deep down inside of us, makes a profound change that is going to affect everything else. Now, let's talk about this change, this this profound change and what it's like. When the Bible describes us as human beings, there's lots of times it talks us about being material, we're physical beings, right? We're also immaterial, there's that part of us that you you can't see, can't touch. Uh, we get that. It, it talks about different aspects of our being. But when the Bible begins to talk formally about us and what God is doing in our lives and where he's taking us, it talks about us as spirit, soul, and body in that order. In fact, we're going to see that in chapter 5. When we get to chapter 5, he talks about it there. But today I want to talk to you about this profound change and how it happens. Okay, so here we are, and I'm going to illustrate to you. We're going to talk about we are, we have a spirit. We are spiritual beings, okay? There's a part of us that is capable of relating to God who is also spiritual. So we are spiritual beings. We have a soul, and our soul is that part of us. We, we might call it our mind. It's, it's like our mind, our will, and our emotions, our personality. It's this part of us that our mind where we think about things. I'm not talking about our brain. Our brain is part of our what? Actually, I'm not getting there yet. Brain is part of our body. So this is our mind where we can think about things and ponder things. Uh, This is our will, the part of us which chooses and makes decisions. I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. And then there are our emotions and that's how we feel about things. And our emotions are very closely connected to our bodies because we feel our emotions where? Very often in our bodies, okay? And so we are spirit. That's the place where we are capable, as possible, to have a relationship with God. We are soul, mind, will, emotions, our, our, our choosing, our feeling. And then we are also body. We have a body. We live in a body. The Bible talks about the body like being a tent that you live in. And eventually the tent wears out and gets folded up and put away, okay? And that's when our eternal destiny is settled at that point. Okay, so here's the, the way we were. The Bible just tells us, if we go back to Genesis and what happened when, when uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and every one of us ever since, that spiritually we are dead. We are born spiritually dead. That means we are dead to God. That means we can't have a relationship with God. We can know about God. 
but we're dead to him. There's no life here. Okay, and because of that, this is this we could call this our sin nature. This is where we are focused on us. This life is about me. Now, Lydia was such a beautiful baby today, wasn't she? And so well behaved. But I guarantee you, they've already experienced it, and they're going to experience it today when she's going to be standing up in her crib, holding on and going. And if, if you can interpret that, she's saying, where are my servants? Where are my servants? <laughs> because as sweet as a baby as she is, she, inside her, she's born spiritually dead. She's dead to God. Just like all of us were. Now, that selfish nature, that sinful nature, we call it, that's who we really are inside and because of that, it affects our souls. It, it affects how we think about things. And, and we believe things that aren't really true, and we try to figure life out, and we come up with wrong conclusions, and, and therefore we make wrong choices, right? And, and because of that, our emotions are all impacted, and, and we love the wrong things, and we fear the wrong things, and, and we get all messed up. And as a result of this, what do we do in the life? Through our bodies, we interact with the world in ways that are sinful. Now. We might have figured out how to make this look really respectable to other people. But the reality is we are dead spiritually, dead to God, sinful on the inside, and it has affected us. And no matter how we've figured out how to make it look good out here, we still don't have a relationship with God. We are dead to him. And so this is where God makes this profound change in our lives. Because that moment when the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives and helped us to see and understand and respond and choose, at that moment, Jesus talks about us being born again, being born spiritually. The moment we receive Christ as Savior, God moves in. And that old spirit that was dead to God, God moves in and makes it alive. And, and it's so intertwined with our spirit, you can't separate the two anymore. God is with us and he's changed us on the inside. He's changed us deep down inside here from being a self-focused sinner to being a God-focused saint. Remember that? We talked about that this past year, that we are, are, you know, God saves us and he changes on the inside to make us, so when you receive Christ as saved, the profound change comes that God moves in and you come alive to God. You come alive to what is right. Deep down inside now, you actually love God and you love other people and you want to do what's right and you want to live God's ways because that's who he's changed you to be deep down inside. So your whole life changes and everything becomes perfect, right? Oh, you don't think so, huh? No, it doesn't. You know why? Because we are so messed up by our sinful ways of life that our thinking is messed up and, and our choices are messed up and our emotions are messed up and how we've lived our lives in the world is such a mess. And so it takes time. But what happens is this part of us where God has changed us, combining with us, cooperating with God, opening the Bible, meeting with people, but God begins to, this sort of starts seeping out. The same way that when we were dead to God, it seeped out, you remember, and, and messed everything up? Well, now it begins to seep into our soul and begins to change us. And we start to say, wait a minute. This isn't the right way. I, I'm going to make a different choice. Oh, I find myself fearing, but wait a minute. I don't have to fear this anymore. 
Do you see how this works? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Okay, so God changes us, profoundly changes us deep down in our spirit, which then begins to work its way out in our life. And we begin to change. Uh, and, and then it changes how we live in the world. The Bible calls this process sanctification, which really means taking this insight part of you that's already like a saint, a holy one, and working it out into your life to where you actually live like a holy one. Okay, and so that's the profound change that comes. And if that profound change doesn't come, we can't make those changes. We are stuck forever unless he changes us. And so he does. He changes from a self-focused sinner to a God-focused saint. Now, let's go back here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Again, it's page 1,356. You see, this is what happened in the Thessalonians' lives. They received Christ as Savior. They were profoundly changed, changed forever. And so Paul said that, verse 4, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, I know you're chosen by God because you received Christ as Savior. Then he says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. See, that's that Holy Spirit dynamic I talked to you about. And in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Remember the much affliction, all the trials, right? The city's in an uproar. They had to post bail, all that stuff. He says, yet you received in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's this last verses I want to focus in on with you and, and help you to see. When we experience this profound change, what does it lead to? He says, verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. And so they are examples for us, too. And that's what I want you to see. What is their example? Profoundly change. What's it do in their life? What is their example to us? Here it is. Verse 8. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. He says, you have shared this good news now, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So wherever Paul goes and he says, hey, have you heard about the Thessalonians? They go, yeah, we've heard about them. They've, you know, we've heard about them, they know. And so the changes that came into their lives were recognizable. These changes could be seen. You can't see the change deep down inside, but you can see it as it works its way out into people's lives, okay? So when we are profoundly changed, it ought to produce changes in our lives that can be seen and recognized as such. And then verse nine, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So when this profound change came in their life, they turned away from some things to some things. It brought a change, turning away from what is 
false to what is true, turning away from what was wrong to what is right, for turning away from anything that's not consistent with who God is to all the things that are consistent with who God is. So they were turning from and turning to, and then verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. But to wait for his son from heaven, And that either meant that they were waiting for the Lord to return, which he did not at that point in time, or they were waiting for him to come for them personally and take them to heaven when they died. So this change was how long for them? For the rest of their lives. For the rest of their lives, it continued. Now, what I want to to leave you with here today is this idea that when we are experience this profound change when we are persuaded like the Bible talks about here and we we receive Christ as Savior and deep down in our spirit here God moves in and, and, and produces this profound change in our lives that there ought to be certain marks that go along with that and, and these marks ought to be that we begin a process of turning away from some things and turning to something. Now, this aspect of turning to is very important. And let me illustrate just a minute. So here, here we are. We, we start right away. We know this list of sins. Right away, I realize, okay, I, I got to stop, you know, getting drunk. That's not right. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to turn away and to begin working on being sober, okay? I'm going to turn away from uh, stealing. And, and I'm going to turn to working hard and being honest. I'm going to turn away from lying to cover or to make myself. And I'm going to, you know, turn to telling the truth and, and trusting God that that's, you know, the right thing. I'm going to make those kinds of changes. We get that. But what I want you to see is this, that far too often in life, as Christians even, those of us who receive Christ, all we focus on is turning from. Turning from. And you know what happens when all you focus on is turning from? All you focus on is what you're turning from. You see what I'm saying? And, and so, I mean, I just I need to be real honest here, right? So if, if I'm really frustrated and God is, is talking at work in my life saying, well, you aren't taking care of yourself physically. You aren't eating right. You're overweight. You're out of shape. Come on, we need to do something about it. He's making that clear to me, okay? And I don't know why I'm frustrated. But the point is, this idea, if, if all I focus on is, okay, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. What do I always want to do? I want to eat that. Okay? And so what I have to do is I have to turn away. Wait, I'm going to turn away from eating this way too. I'm going to turn away to eating better. I'm going to turn away to, to getting some exercise. I'm going to turn away to actually thinking, wait a minute, this is a spiritual thing. It's not just, I'm going to turn to God. And I'm going to move close to God in this. You see, that gives me a new focus. It's no longer about just, no, 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 no. It's turning to. So that's important. That's really kind of off the subject here. But I want you to see is that when we are profoundly changed, we begin to notice things that aren't right in our lives, and we, we begin to turn away from those things to the things that are right. But the more we mature, this change goes even deeper because we start turning away from now, no longer just a list of things that are not right or wrong we start turning away from things that are counterfeits to what's really true and right. Like this, what makes me significant? What makes you significant? What makes me important and makes me matter? 
Well, I think, okay, well, how much money I have, that's what makes me important. What kind of car I drive, that's what, what my job is. All those things I said, but you know what? No, 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 that's not true. Those are fake. I mean, they're fine, you know, have them, but they, if you think that's what makes you significant, you're in trouble. Because you could lose those like that, right? And so we turn away from that. Wait a minute, no, I'm going to get my significance from God. I know I'm significant because God sent his son to die for me. How much more significant can I become? And he's significant because he made me in a certain way to do certain things, things that matter, things that he says are important. I can do these things. So see, we're turning from that. Same thing with our security. What's making you feel safe and secure and love? Boy, people stay in relationships they ought not be in all the time because they're trying to get their sense of security from that relationship. And we have to say, wait, I can't get the security there. I'm gonna turn away from getting the security. I'm gonna turn to God who has loved me, who said he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will always continue to work in my life. See, I'm turning from that. And we can go on down the list. Anything that's not God's life, anything that's not producing those good things of God, I need to turn from and turn to him in those things. And this is a mark of what it means to be, one of the marks of being a Christian. And so I would say to you today that if you have not experienced this profound change, if this isn't what we've been describing, this change and what it does is not what you're experiencing, it may be that you are still spiritually dead to God. You haven't settled that issue once and for all and received Christ as Savior. Now, there are some of you here today, I know you, there are some of you here today who have already prayed to receive Christ 20 times because you're always afraid you didn't get it right. I mean, and so this is a concern for me when I start saying, if you're not experiencing these changes, then you're gonna, oh no, see, I really didn't do it, I didn't get it right, I didn't get it. Now let me tell you this, if, that's, if you find yourself worrying, did I really believe it? The very first time that you said, oh, I need a savior. And okay, God, you know, I, I need a savior. Jesus, which is being my savior, I receive as my savior. That very first time, God saved you forever. Because he didn't save you because you're faithful, he saved you because he's faithful to his word. And so when you find yourself wrestling with that, see if what it is. I'm just, I gotta focus on what's true. I gotta turn away from thinking it's about me and what I did to it's about God and what he did, okay? And, and God asked God to make it very clear because if you haven't had this change, he can make it very clear to you. I remember me, April 4th, 1975, and we'll go into all the details, but I'm wrestling with God about things, and finally he said, okay, I know it, I know it. He just made it so clear. I am not saved. I have not received Christ as Savior. And then I received Christ as Savior. And so he can make that clear to you. And those of us who are believers, we've been persuaded, we've been profoundly changed. Just know that the rest of your life, there's going to be a turning from and a turning to. Some things happen fast and easy. Some things are struggles along the way. And some things you're going to wrestle with the rest of your life because of the way the world is. But you're going to continue to turn from and turn to. Let's all bow our heads here today. If you're here today and you say, wow, this is, I get it. I can see that I need that change, that profound change. I, I need to receive Christ as Savior because that's what I need. I can see it. If that's you here today, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to silently say a prayer to God 
along with me. And you say it silently, God knows what's in your, your mind, what's in your heart, he hears and knows. But I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray a prayer to, to make that decision today, that once and for all decision, I'm going to receive Christ so he can profoundly change me forever. And if that's where you're at today, right now, silent before God, just pray along with me and mean it, be sincere in your heart about it, say, say, God, I know that I have sinned against you. I know that my sins have separated me from you. I know that my sin will send me to hell. I do believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he was. I believe he died for my sins and rose again. And right now, the very best I know how, I receive Christ as my savior. I accept his payment for the penalty of my sins. I accept the gift of eternal life. I open my life up to you, God, to move in and make this profound change. Now, still heads bowed, all, every eye closed. I wanna give you a chance. If you just prayed with me, let me say this. If you sincerely prayed with me to God about that, God has forgiven every sin. He will never hold that against you in eternity. You now have eternal life. When this life is over, you will go to be with God in heaven. And he has moved inside. And now he has changed you from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And what I wanna do is give you your very first chance to act on that to begin this process of turning from and turning to by doing this. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you, if you prayed with me, I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand, indicate to me, I want you to raise your hand and look up at me, and then I'm gonna pray for those of you who prayed with me. So if you're here today and you say, yes, I just prayed with you to receive Christ as Savior, nobody else looking around, right now, would you just raise your hand and, and, and look up at me? Anybody? Anyone today? All right. All right, I see a hand over there. I see that. I see that. Thank you. Others? All right, Father, thank you so much for this person who we know prayed to receive your son as Savior. I pray, Father, that you'll make this so real in her life. She'll know it, that you have profoundly changed her deep down inside. I pray, Lord, that she will... Uh, be willing to let us help her to grow, to understand, and to be able to make these changes that we've talked about here today. Thank you that she now belongs to you and you will never, never forsake her. And if you're here today, you've already prayed that prayer, you've already made your relation, you've received Christ as Savior, you've settled that issue. And you're here today saying, yeah, you know what I can see in my life, There's, there are some things now that I need to be moving from and moving to. If that's you here today, would you just raise your hand up again so I can pray for you? Yes, your hand's all over the place. My hand is up with you here today. Father, thank you for this profound change that you're making in our lives and that you show us, Lord, uh, keep showing us things we need to be turning away from and turning to you in. And I pray that we will do it that we'll cooperate with you in this, that you'll use us to be an example to others of this. Thank you that you work in our lives. 
I pray this in Jesus' name.